This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome back to Thoughts on the Table, the audio blog on food and food culture. Paolo here again, your host, and today a new guest, Christy Prada from MamaPrada.com. Hi, Christy. Hi, Paolo. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Christy. It's so nice to speak with you finally. Yes, I've been following you for, for a very long time. Um, and uh, yeah, so much to talk about. So Christy has um, a website which is centered around language, parenting, but there's also recipes. And the main topics are Italy and raising bilingual children. Uh, I've always been very interested in languages and the point of view of somebody who is British and grew up <laughs> in England, <laughs> but then, you know, connected with Italy and now is raising bilingual children is so interesting to me. So, Christy, can you please introduce yourself for people who don't know you? Yes, of course. Um, so I'm Christy Prada, Prada because I'm married in Italian. Mm-hmm. I'm British and um, I've lived in London for 16 years, but I'm actually from a small Berkshire village, which is in the south of England. Hmm. And at some point, as everybody really does in in small villages when you're young in England, as you move to London to get a bit more excitement. So that's <laughs> how I ended up here. And probably too long now, but it's uh, it's a lovely city. So, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm close to London, as you know, um, and I uh, used to be for me, the most exciting thing to, to just take the train and go to London on a Sunday. Uh, now, yeah. of course, with the pandemic, we haven't been able to do that in over a year. Uh, I know. But of course, London now is very different, right? Isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I'm sure once we're all allowed to go and do things again, then there will be almost, a, you know, an in- massive enthusiasm to go and yeah. do things, experience things. I I do think we've all discovered our local areas much more and realised what gems we have on our doorstep as well Mm. as, you know, travelling abroad. So I'm sure it will all come back again. For sure, for sure. I have no doubt, no doubt, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you mentioned you married an Italian. So um, what is your connection to Italy? So how this whole thing came to be, if I may ask you, of course, it's very personal. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I worked in communications in banking um, in Canary Wharf for over 10 years, and I happened to meet my husband there. Oh, I see. I uh, always had an interest in Italy. I studied um, Italian history and a bit of film studies and some language, mm-hmm. just because I loved the culture and the art and all the, all the things we all love about Italy, really. But, of course. Um, no intention of meeting an Italian, but I just happened to meet him. <laughs> Um, and the rest is history, really. Um, he is from your area, um, Saronno. Oh, right, yes. Saronno, famous for Amaretto di Saronno, uh, of exactly. course. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> um, and he was he was born in Italy and he moved here in 2000 and he never left. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we ended up meeting each other. Fantastic, yes. So Italy, uh, of course, you've been then to Italy many times, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, and well, obviously before um, the current situation, and we used to spend all uh, the school holidays, mm. and even before children, we would spend all our holidays and weekend breaks discovering the different areas of Italy, which there's so many different regions and different types of food to enjoy. And as you know, um, but being from the area that you're from, we're really close to the Italian lakes, so... <laughs> 
Lake Como a lot. We actually got married in a small village there. Fantastic. We used to go skiing in Bormio because you can just drive to the mountains and go skiing. Mm-hmm. Really lovely area, as you know, because you have access to so much in one place. Yeah, it's very central. You can really be Venice if you want, eat three hours. Um, except that you don't quite do that because it's quite tricky <laughs> to get to Venice. <laughs> Uh, the highway can be a nightmare and then you need to, I don't know, deal with reaching the city center. Um, but yeah, you yeah. could in theory do that, have a day trip there, or you can go to the seaside down to Liguria. Uh, of course, the mountains are there, but more likely the, the lakes. Yes, as you yeah. said, which is, which is obviously a very lovely place, uh, a lovely part of Italy. Yeah, it's still uh, not fully um, explored, I would say. There's still a lot of hidden places that are not... Uh, famous and therefore not hit by tourists very yeah. much. And we tend to spend our time in Val d'Intelvi, which is um, a really sort of green area on the western um, shore of the lake. And I so, always sort of say people go to Lake Como and then once you've done all the main sites, go away from the lake because there are so many things you find there, gorges and walks and um, viewpoints that you just, you know, most people never, ever see. Um, there's so much that you can do around there and it's so green and you can avoid all the tourists and mm-hmm. not you're in a crowded spot. So, so yeah, like you say, it's, it's quite undiscovered as well. Fantastic. Yes, you're right. And as always, when I have somebody like yourself who has such a, a an intimate connection with, with Italy, obviously, but wasn't born there, um, yeah. there's always something there for me to, to discover. So I'd like to pick you a little bit your brain on this. Obviously, from having been in Italy, um, accompanied by Italians, uh, obviously being married to an Italian, it must be its own, yeah. its own uh, <laughs> uh, handful. <laughs> uh, so what is, what is your take? Like, what is the main difference culturally? And I know it's a very difficult and broad question. Um, in the way Italians relate, say, to one another and to the concept of food in their lives? Um, well, food is just a hu- such a huge thing. And I think even before you're married to an Italian, <laughs> you know that Italians are just well known for their food and, it's, and they're very passionate and everyone says, oh, they do gesticulate a lot and all this, all this kind of stereotypical stuff. But you don't realise how essential it is to the life of an Italian, I think, until you're in a relationship with one or in a family with one. Or, mm. And I remember when I was first living with my husband, um, one day coming home and he was just devastated about something. And I couldn't understand what was so bad. And he was standing by the fridge. And I said to him, like, what has happened? You know, are you okay? Are you ill? And he, you know, all these kind of Italian words, which I won't repeat, were coming out. And, and it turned out that we'd run out of parsley. <laughs> and, uh, as an English person, I was thinking, like, it can't just be that we've run out of parsley. And, and actually, he apparently been thinking about cooking spaghetti alla vongole for, like, days. Mm-hmm me because I don't think that far ahead and dream about my my dish (laughs) Um, and you can't apparently cook this with without fresh parsley you've been missing a lot Um, I agree I sympathize with your husband (laughs) yeah you've been missing a very important component it's not the same apparently it's not worth having even um 
And so this was the, what the drama was about. And so this is kind of, I find this sort of the best explanation of, of how different we are in terms of food. <laughs> Italian culture and food and traditions are so much more intense in Italy. Mm-hmm. Food in England has always been, yeah, we do have great regional dishes and True. often we're not as proud of them as we should be. Mm-hmm. We don't realise that, you know, a dish that to us is quite a lowly dish in England is still quite a hearty, lovely meal that in yeah. Italy you you would still think was decent. And a lot of the cucina povera is obviously um, really lowly dishes as well, but you all still think they're wonderful. So we're not as proud of our regional Mm -hmm. as we probably should be. But our food culture is not as as important to us. It's not something that we grow up with thinking about that much. We don't all eat at the table together as a family. Mm. And people did and some families still do it's not everybody but we don't have that thing where at a set time everybody is at the table and if Mm. you're not are you type of thing um and you know that does bring a lot a lot of connection and it does strengthen your family ties and probably in England you would say well if you've just had a bit of a row or you've just told your child off then if they're not at the table Mm -hmm. then it doesn't in Italy, that doesn't happen. Even if you just had a blazing row, everyone sits together at the table. That's so true, Christy. And, you know, this this kind of idea that food is, is life, it's not just something that just feeds your stomach at that moment when you're hungry, is mm-hmm. a dramatic difference to um, English culture. And the other thing I would say is for a nation of people who say they don't follow rules, which is obviously the Italians, <laughs> But they're known when for. it comes to food, there are rules. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, what they did are. you do to the dish? You know? Yeah. Uh, so that always amuses me that, you know, you don't want to wear a seatbelt or you don't want to do this because the state has got something over you or whatever. But when it comes to food, if you don't follow the dish, what, what am I eating? Sort of thing. Oh. Um, so interesting, Christy. Yes, you're hitting on so many interesting points. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I grew up uh, exactly like that. You know, family time was dinner time and lunch time. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yes, you, you have to be there. There's no excuse. So yes, it's quite central, absolutely central. When I go to Italy, when I used to go to Italy, now I'm stuck here for, for the time being, um, the, it's still the same. So my, my mom and dad, uh, now obviously the children have moved out, um, live the way they used to and they talk about the same things um that they used to at lunch they talk about dinner at dinner they talk about next day's <laughs> lunch and um there's always consultations and even early in the morning say so i'm gonna make that is that okay so, yes i'm gonna get this you get that it's all about organizing what to eat <laughs> so yeah almost an obsession yeah exactly and also, you often buy it fresh that day, so um, you know it's not it's not uncommon to go shopping every day. Yeah, <laughs> traditionally, yes, for bits and pieces for that day. We don't really do that in the UK. We kind of do like our monthly food order or something, and then by the end of the month, there's nothing fresh left. <laughs> You're eating, you know, your frozen vegetables or something like that. You know, we don't really have that same. Um, thing so it's good and on the on the flip side I find sometimes I want more freedom to eat how I want to eat and when <laughs> yes. I 
eat, you know, and there have been times where we've decided we're going to go on a road trip from, you know, one place to another in Italy and mm-hmm. we're going to set up in the morning or mid-morning and my father-in-law will be like, but what are you going to do for lunch, you know? <laughs> we'll be travelling over lunchtime and <laughs> we'll just stop and get a panino or something and he's like, you can't do that. You can't eat in the car. You can't sit in the car driving eating a sandwich. <laughs> my husband like, he's been here so long he's like actually you can no one dies you know um but yeah there's everything is planned around oh, so right <laughs> so you must only travel in the morning so that you arrive by lunch and can sit down at a table <laughs> and then again you might travel in the afternoon and do the same so you're there for dinner you know so there's yes yeah. very sweet about that but but obviously it's a bit annoying <laughs> Anyway, I would give your husband a high five right now. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same and the same. It, it can be a bit frustrating. Um, it is for, for my wife who's Canadian sometimes to, to have to think ahead necessarily and just, just time it. And then, you know, we need to leave. We need to leave by nine because, you know, it will take <laughs> us three hours to get there. And if we leave at 10, we're getting to the point where restaurants will start to be either too full or about not to take any new guests anymore because at 2 p.m. they close, which is another thing that, uh, at least in the north, it, it often happens that they close in, at 2 p.m. So they won't really seat yeah. you at one thirty. So so that's the, yeah, the main concern. What are you going to do? Like waste that opportunity to have a delicious meal in a, in a new city. You can't just leave everything to chance. You do. It's so funny. <laughs> Well, good for you for putting up with that obsession. But some of it probably is now bleeding into into yourself. Is that the case? Yeah, definitely. I I don't know. It just becomes part of who you are. And I think you have to not fight it. Otherwise, you can't really have a mixed culture relationship anyway. Um, right, right. There are times when we have, you know, like this Christmas, we did Christmas in England, obviously, and my husband's just like it's so weird that there's just one big main meal and there's not you know like seven courses yeah. or, um like they like they have in Italy you know but you both have to compromise a little bit so yeah absolutely absolutely uh, I, I would feel the same but I've adjusted to the single meal I think um mm-hmm. from living in Canada for 18 years um yeah, but okay. yeah or or there are other things that I've accepted like I could have a soup as a starter and then a pasta as a main, which is something that, mm. you know, in my family, it's nowhere to be seen. The two yeah. are mutually exclusive, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's some mixing of cultures yeah. for sure, which obviously, uh, Christy, brings me to uh, the other topic that we, we thought we, we could talk about, which is yeah. raising bilingual children. So the two cultures together. Yes. What what can you say about that? Like, I can see it being very rewarding, and but at the same time, I can't imagine it being easy either. No, it's not easy. And I think um, as soon as people say to you, "Are you are you raising your children with two languages?" They almost just assume that you just all chat away, and it all just seeps in, and magically they become fluent in two languages. But as we both know, learning another language is not that simple. And even though it's easier for children to learn, it's still not done just instantly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think how to begin. It's such a big topic, but we both have different experiences because my son, I went back to work when he was a year old and we were still living in London. So he 
he basically went into an English nursery surrounded by English, came mm-hmm. home and I'm English. Um, so the, the amount of time he was speaking Italian or hearing Italian was quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, he took much longer to learn Italian and he was less open to it, I think, because he was so immersed in English. Right. Um, he's still bilingual now at eight. It just took longer. And because he was the eldest child, there was definitely around age four or five, there was definitely this resistance of mm-hmm. got a different daddy to other people. You know, why do I have to learn another language when my friends maybe don't or something like that? Yeah, I can see that. At that age, they start thinking about their identity, you know, um, and he found it quite difficult. And then he kind of overcome it and he realised actually in London, there are hundreds of people that have mixed families mm-hmm. and are in several languages and, and now he he thinks it's quite cool he's not bothered but so yeah. he is always a bit more English and um found it more difficult my daughter however um when she was around age two my husband was at home for 10 months mm, I see and age two she literally had 50 50 um exposure exposure mm-hmm. languages for like about 10 months before my husband went back to work so um, firstly, she was the second child. So basically you're born and everybody else is already doing something and you just have to go along with it sort of thing. <laughs> True. Um, and then secondly, she had much more exposure to my husband talking to her um, because he was there all day. So she is very Italian in the way she talks. She's much more open to doing it and she did it quicker. <laughs> um, so they're both now at the same stage, but it's interesting that even within one family, you can have, such different experiences really right it makes total sense do you think your your son was actively refusing um to to be different just in order to fit in better yeah i think so i think we all want to be the same as everyone else don't we especially when you're a child right yeah Um, and he just started to notice oh why is it my daddy is italian and this daddy is english and you know he didn't really understand but then by sort of age five or six he started to, to come home and tell me oh actually did you know that my friend's mummy is spanish and mm, you know interesting colombian and he speaks french and and suddenly it was like oh actually other families do have mixes as well <laughs> and also i did a big kind of cultural push on italy around this time to help right. him yeah. um, which you know probably we, we can talk about that side of it as well if you'd like to but um I was trying to make it cool to be Italian, <laughs> which it is really cool, isn't it? But <laughs> as a little child, you're like, I just want to be like everyone else. Um, I know, so I know. It's celebrating um, more of the Italian festivals at home and doing mm-hmm, nice. baking. Um, we did like mask making for Venice Carnival and um, Chiacare oh, treats. Yeah. Loved it. At that time, you know, and, and he had his friends over and we turned the coffee table into a gondola. We did all these <laughs> things. And suddenly he was like, actually, it's not that bad, you know, um, started <laughs> yeah. to embrace it. So there are ways you can encourage them. Um, and I often say to people that even if you're not raising bilingual children, but your child is learning a language at school, you know, learning language is not just about the words. You know, the reason normally that you are trying to help your child learn a language is that you're trying to give them an exposure to other cultures. Mm-hmm. Those that other people are the same as you, but they they maybe celebrate things in different ways and that it can broaden your outlook on life, you know. Um, Absolutely. So 
whatever language you're you're learning even if you're just learning it at school and you're learning French and you find the lessons boring well, what do you know about France you know France has so many amazing cities and landmarks and festivals and feasts you know the, I always say to people if, if you if you're trying to help your child this is the way to do it because the language then they will become curious about right. what they learn all these new things um so we get a bit hung up on the words, but actually it's about more than that, isn't it? I'm sure you would agree, having learned a second language. But. Absolutely, absolutely. But see, uh, there is this thing with um, the dominant language of the place you physically live. Uh, yeah. So I can see why your son obviously being based there and going to nursery school there, um, you know, that side obviously is prevalent. It's going to be prevalent, at least uh, yeah. in one stage. So yeah. again, I, I can see the challenge um, when trying to introduce the other side, which is so important. Yeah. But at that time, obviously, you are in the place where English is dominant. And there's something to be said about, you know, you speaking the language of the place you are physically. Yeah. And just almost having to, to survive, I think. Yeah. A survival, um, really. It's yeah. sort of a spontaneous. You can't control it. It's emotional and every everything emotional tends to, to stick, you know, and leave a deep mark. Uh, so yeah I, I, I think there's almost like a pain point to go through yeah um, my husband actually before he came to London um he did an Erasmus scheme and he went to Perpignan in France for a year and did mm -hmm. his degree there but he knew barely any French when he arrived uh -huh. and he remembers sitting in his apartment and thinking like every time I go out of here and I have to talk to somebody yeah not only do I have to think what to ask them I have to think what they might respond <laughs> yeah. if I know what that is, you know. And and he said there was like two or three weeks where he was just staying in his apartment. And then at some point he just said, look, if you're going to stay here, you have to just go out there and make mistakes, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so he went through that and, and he is fluent in French because he stayed there for a year. Um, Fantastic. And he's not bothered about making mistakes now in any language because he's he's just used to the fact that that's what happens. And I do think that's what English and, and Americans or Anglo-Saxons tend to have this worry about getting something wrong. And actually, it's just a natural process of trying and it's nothing to be ashamed of. I was talking to Jasmine, who you might know of Quest. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, because she was talking about people's notion of fluency and and everything and that you still make mistakes when it's your second language, you know, for years after other people might think Absolutely. you're fluent. Um, and I was saying that my children, I've just noticed because they're doing French for school mm -hmm. with online learning, I've noticed that they don't care about making mistakes in language. Awesome. I remember being mortified when I made mistakes in my French class at school, you know. Um, but even my little girl, who's five, she's in like a Zoom class for mm -hmm. the children of my son's age learning French. She's never learned French before. They ask a question and she puts her hands up immediately because she really wants to be picked. Oh, fantastic. And ask her a question. And I can tell she doesn't know. Until that moment, she doesn't know what the answer is. And she sits there for a few minutes and I'm almost in pain for her. <laughs> she could actually say the right thing. And then she and then she does it. And I said to her afterwards, you know, why do you put your hands up? And she said, well, if I get it wrong, they'll just tell me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we talk a lot these days about psychological safety and she feels safe. 
meaning that she's not uh, embarrassed if she makes a mistake. And yeah. that's the best way to, to put themselves up there because really making the mistakes says nothing about who you are. Actually, quite the opposite. You trying speaks to your, your courage to, to put yourself out there. And uh, yeah. yeah, we're learning from them. Absolutely. Yeah, I wish we all could feel like that about learning languages. I think a lot more people would do it or stick to it. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so um, how is your Italian? Uh, because there's one thing about being British. People will speak English with you. Yeah. So what is it like for you? Where did this drive come from? For me, I've always been interested in language anyway. So it wasn't mm. a decision to decide to learn Italian. Um I'm quite rusty at the moment because I haven't studied Italian since before I had children. So that's over right. eight years now. Mm -hmm. um, I do think if you're not studying it and using it every day, you get rusty or slower. Or, uh, yeah. you know, um, I'm currently trying to study again amongst working and homeschooling and everything. Yeah, of course. Um, I really think that everyone can learn a language, but I think you have to be exposing yourself to it all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why I'm particularly rusty at the moment. But yeah. we, to help our children be bilingual, we would use the one parent, one language method. So I, I only speak English to them and my husband only speaks Italian to them. Okay, so you use that method, which also meant, you know, you, you didn't practice your Italian. It's great for them. Yeah. But I'm not using it. It's not Italian good for you. Mm -hmm. As much but as I'd like. Would you ever happen that um, your children would use the other language with you or you know of course there was a conversation where you all four in the same room and uh, Italian is used and um, yeah often you know my husband will start a conversation in Italian and he'll be talking to them and then they will ask me something or, right. How does that or try like? and they switch to English every mm, time immediately Yeah, but sometimes I've noticed recently that um, I will ask them a question and they might reply in Italian. I see. So that's a that's a more recent thing. But um, they are quite, we, we are trying to change the method that we use at home to another mm -hmm. method, minority language at home, because Italian is our minority language in London. Yes. And it helps everybody. So we're trying to change it, but they're quite against it because from birth, they've always used English with me. <laughs> um, and I think it worked at the beginning because it meant there was no confusion for them. Right. So they understand that we both, that my husband and I both understand each other's languages. So, um, you know, why can't you speak to your mum in Italian? So we are kind of trying to move in that direction Um, but yeah, there are plenty of couples that, that the other partner doesn't speak the second language. Yeah, I know some. And, and that's fine. I mean, not everybody cares as much as you might do about learning another language or sharing both your cultures or sharing both your languages. True. But Christy, I, I can help but wonder, you know, I, I know some, some families. Uh, I mean, these were uh, Italian Canadians who moved to Canada in the 60s. And so their children were like in their 20s, something like that, um, actively refused to speak Italian. They decided not to learn it. Yeah. And not only did the child refuse from one point onwards, yeah. um, the problem there was that his dad especially has always really refused to learn English, even though he moved to Canada. Uh, because right. this horrible thing in my opinion it's horrible happens that some italians 
moved there as a group and ended up working for an Italian who was already there, but yeah. uh, without speaking any English. So there was this absolute divide at home um, between the child and the dad. They, mm -hmm. The two would speak different languages. Yeah. The, the child would basically still understand Italian, uh, yeah. but, but they didn't have that emotional connection um, of the language. So yeah. the, the subtleties that were completely lost in translation. I can't imagine uh, a relationship like that. Yeah, I do think that's quite important. Even if you learn a second language, I think you really make yourself most understood in your native language. Yeah. So, you know, it's a shame. It is a shame, really, mm -hmm. in respect. Um, I've had other Italian mums tell me that They, the reason they really want their child to learn Italian is because they feel most understood when they speak Italian, even though their level of fluency in English is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. it's what you're what the feeling you're conveying as you speak your native language is different. Yeah. Yeah. It is so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Christy, we've been talking for quite some time, so uh, we have the time for this episode, but obviously there's so much more we could talk about. I'll uh, continue to be in touch and uh, we should do this again, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It was lovely um, chatting to you finally and um, I hope you have a great day. Yeah, likewise, Christy. Best of luck with your uh, blog, obviously. Uh, and uh, please say hi to your husband. Uh, we haven't met, but uh, I sympathize a lot with him. <laughs> <laughs> Take your care. Take care. Bye. Bye, Christy.